listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. So Revelation chapter 5 and the verse number 8, And when he had taken the book, and the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hath redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto your God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power, be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Revelation chapters 4 and 5 uh, give us an insight into John's sight of heaven. He's been told to come. He goes through the door and he enters into heaven. And by vision, he sees something of the majesty and the splendor of heaven. The chief occupation that he sees there is worship. In chapter 4, we saw a company praising God. And that company, they highlight the majestic sovereignty of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. They highlight his majesty, his sovereignty, his holiness, and his creative power. Verse 11, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are, and were created. We are seeing the pristine purity of spirit-filled worship of those who have been led, purified, those spirits of just men made perfect with the angelic host praising their gods. You see, the essence of true worship is exalting God for who he is and for what he has done. We consider his being, we consider his works, and we reflect those, we return those in praise to his name. Yet in chapter 4, we see no mention of salvation from the mouths of the company. But yet we know they are saved. Verse number 4 of chapter 4 describes them as sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. The 24 elders are a description of the redeemed from the Old and the New Testament. They are those who have overcome in the language of chapter 2 and 3. They've received the blessing of clothing and white raiment, the righteousness of Christ. And they have on their heads the crown of victory, the crown of gold promised to those who would overcome in the midst of all manner of persecutions. So this is a redeemed company, a saved company. And yet in chapter 4, we have no reference and they're praising God for that salvation. 
But knowing what we do, we do surely expect to hear the song of redemption. And you get to chapter 5, and now we hear this song, verse number 9, and they sung a new song. The song of redemption, the song of salvation, and they praise God for his redeeming works. You see, we are taken to this song by the presentation of the lion lamb. And we saw last time that John is told to look and to see a lion, and he looks and he sees a lamb. Christ, the lion lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb that had been slain. You see, the redeemed, the redeemed can only sing the song of redemption because of the work of Christ. We have no song of redemption without Christ. No song of praise for his work unless he comes and dies on our behalf. Christ, the Redeemer, brings us to the point that we can offer the praise for our redemption. You see, it is the case that the praise that occupies our lips as new covenant believers is the praise of redemption. Our praise should have the very thought of redemption at its core. Not only as the reason whereby we can praise, but as the subject of our praise. Oh, yes, of course, it is entirely appropriate to praise God for his works of creation and providence. But we are those who have enjoyed the blessing of redemption. And we are those who have the privilege of singing the song of the redeemed. Before we go any further, it is also worth noting that this song of praise is praise offered to the Lamb. The Lamb receives the same honor and praise as God that sits on the throne. Chapter 5, verse number 12, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That's the same praise that we have recorded in chapter 4, verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. And so you're seeing here the praise that the Creator God receives and is worthy of is the same praise that the Lamb is worthy to receive. And the Lamb is Jesus. The Lamb is the root of David, according to verse number 5. And Christ, in Revelation chapter 22, says, I, Jesus, am the root and offspring of David. Jesus, the man who bled and died, is of equal power and glory as God's meaning he is God. Though he has a body to bleed and die, yet he has that humanity united with deity whereby it is worthy and proper for him to receive the praise of deity. Thomas was right when he falls before Christ and says, my Lord and my God's. That confession of faith in the deity of Jesus Christ, the lion lamb, receives the praise that only belongs to God, for he is truly the eternal God. You know, there are many, and they doubt the deity of Christ Jesus. But it is written large through the pages of Scripture, the testimony. And if you begin to deny his deity, you've got to remove this aspect of worship. He does not deserve the worship he receives if he's any less than God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, God and man. And so in this scene of praise, well, we do see much to teach us here about the Lord's people and about the nature of salvation. 
Yeah, there's different lines of approach to these verses. You go down different directions. But surely we do see that this is a passage that teaches us much about the redeemed company. We see the people who've been saved here in this portion. But before we see that, there is a difficulty that we should acknowledge if we cannot entirely answer it. In verse number 8, you have the description of the company and the four beasts join with the four, el- the four and twenty elders. So the four beasts, they join with the four and twenty elders and they sing a new song saying, Thou hast thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. Now I need to remind you of the, the, the interpretation of these things if we have to understand the difficulty. I trust you recall that the four and twenty elders represent the church. They are those who are clothed, have the crowns upon their head. They are the overcomers from the Old and the New Testament. But we also observe that the four beasts, the four living creatures, are representative of the cherubim. And we saw that from Ezekiel's vision. And we said, well, this is a representation of the cherubim, part of the angelic host. So therefore, there are these verses suggesting that the beasts, the living creatures, are redeemed. If they're singing with the four and twenty elders, well, are, they, are they expressing, therefore, that they have known redemption through the blood of the lion-lamb? Well, no, we know that's not the case. And these are not redeemed souls as man is a redeemed person. So there are various ways in which this is understood. Some suggest there is an issue uh, with the rendering here in our authorized version. And they suggest the word us is not there in a proper place. And they say, well, well really what you've got here is simply a description. Thou wast, thou wast slain and hast redeemed to God by thy blood this company. And therefore they remove the personal pronoun. You certainly find that in many of the modern translations, the removal of the word us in that verse but even with, with the us present in our authorized version, we need not be perturbed. Verse number 14 distinguishes between the four beasts and the four and twenty elders. You see, the other interpretation of the beasts is that in some way it represents also a saved humanity. So the four beasts, the four and twenty elders, it's all descriptive terms for saved men and women. But there's a clear distinction drawn between them, both in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 here. There are the four beasts, they say amen, and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. These are not two terms describing the same company. I think the interpretation from Ezekiel is very clear that the, the, the four beasts do describe the cherubim. So I think we see here from verse number 8 is that the angelic, sorry, the angelic host, cherubim and other angels, according to later verses, this host join with the redeemed and singing the song of redemption. They share in the joy of redemption, and thus they share in the song, though they themselves will not be redeemed, but they share in the joy. We know from Luke 15 in the parables there that there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents. And so what we're seeing here is we're seeing the heavenly host sharing in the joy, the heavenly joy of redemption. It's a terrible rebuke that the angels rejoice in redemption, 
And we find it so hard to rejoice in redemption. The sinless angelic host, they share in the praise and in the glory of the Lamb that was slain to redeem us. And we find ourselves uttering words sometimes without any true heart or joy. My Redeemer, my Redeemer, oh, what beauties. And we, we struggle to, to really lift our souls in any joy. Oh, what a challenge it is that we would know more of the joy of heaven when we come to sing the song of redemption. And so in verse number 11, we see the company described, and I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels, the cherubims, the seraphims, the, the myriads of angels, the, the entire heavenly company, all the various types of angels coming together and singing the song, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. This is the praise of heaven. Hendrickson says this, First the elders sing, for they have experienced salvation, then the angels sing, for they have been instructed in the mysteries of redemption by the elders. That's a biblical concept. The angels learn redemption from the salvation of sinners. That's taught in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, or through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Or redemption contributes knowledge to the angelic host, whereby they then can turn that knowledge into praise for God. It's one of the wonderful things in God's sovereign workings of redemption in this world. And so what is it that these angels see? What do they hear? How do they understand redemption from the people, the elders, that are gathered around this throne? You see, we are seeing people, people in heaven, the souls of just men made perfect, Indeed, we could say it is a picture of the heavenly host even now. Those who are with Christ, they are part of this heavenly host even tonight. So the first thing to note regarding this people is very simply they are a purchased people. They are redeemed. Verse number 9, For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. A redeemed people. Redemption is a great gospel word. A word that we should treasure and love and seek to understand. A word, again, like so many gospel words that has been put aside by so many. You go into many churches and say today, I am redeemed. And there's so shallow knowledge of these things, they wonder what you're talking about. The idea of being freed, delivered through the payment of a price. We know the price is paid. We have it here in verse number 9. It's by thy blood, the precious blood of Christ, whereby we're set free from sin and from Satan, and we belong to God's redemption. The freedom that belongs to the people of God because they've been saved, they've been delivered out of all of their bondage. You see, we see the fullness here of what we know in part now. We are free even today, and yet we're still going to know more of that freedom going forward as we come around the throne of the Lamb. There is just a passing comment here, an important reference here to the extent of the atonement. You know, we often discuss this matter, for whom did Christ die? Well, there's a scripture here, it says in verse number 9, For thou hast us slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Redeemed out of. In other words, not all mankind are redeemed. 
The blood is not shed for all mankind, but the blood is shed for those who are taken out of mankind and they are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And yet, we see true universalism here. They are those out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. This company taken out of humanity are a people taken out of every sector of humanity, every part of humanity. Again, Hendrickson says this, both the particular and universal aspects of the atonement are beautifully combined. The Lamb did not purchase the salvation of every single individual. No, he paid the price for his elect, that is, for men out of every tribe and tongue. Yet, on the other hand, there is nothing narrow or national about this redemption. It is worldwide in its scope and embraces every group. Ethnic, tribe, linguistic, tongue, political, people, and social nation. Together they are all the redeemed. This is the work of God. What hope this gives us in our evangelism. Because the redemption price has already been paid. Think of that. It's not the case that every time a soul is saved, a new payment price is given. It's already paid. Every part of redemption is required has been paid in full. And therefore, every person for whom the price is paid will certainly be redeemed. There'll be no payment price that will not be used. Everything that Christ has purchased will indeed be given unto him. His work will be complete. Evangelism will be successful. Our prayer meetings will be successful. We will pray in the redeemed because Christ cannot fail to secure every person for whom his blood is the payment price. You see, there are three things about this purchased people. Note, first of all, they are exalted. They are, according to verse number 10, and has made us unto our God kings. It's remarkable that those who once were slaves to sin and Satan are taken out of that and they're exalted to the status of kings. So many other levels that we could have been taken to, but we are kings unto God. We reign. This, of course, is the language of Peter, which, of course, also borrows from the language of the Old Covenant. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Kings. We are not under dominion of sin and Satan. We're not. The child of God cannot be under the dominion of sin or Satan. Romans 6 makes it clear that sin shall not reign over us. We know also that Satan cannot possess us. He may seek to deceive us and devour us, but he cannot take us from Christ Jesus. We can never, ever be under the dominion of Satan. We are free and we are kings unto God. We are those who as kings are our royal priesthood. And so secondly, we're exalted and we are equipped. Made us kings and priests, a sanctified people. Verse number eight, they're described as saints, which are the prayers of saints. The saints are those who are set apart, prepared by God for service. And so this company in heaven, they are prepared for heaven by the work of Christ, set apart by that blood, sanctified, given a new heart. We, we could not enjoy heaven in our natural state. You know, the unbeliever thinks when they die, they'll go to heaven. They will have no enjoyment in heaven unless their hearts changed 
unless they're born again with the Spirit of God, whereby they can truly enjoy and enter into the praise of God. To enjoy the praise of God, you need a new heart. That's why many people find praise and worship boring, because their heart's stony dead. But from a new heart, you're prepared to be a priest unto God and to sing the praise of Zion and to pray and to commune with Christ Jesus. These are an equipped people. They're equipped for heaven itself. What we know in part now, we will then know in fullness when we are the spirits of just men made perfect. An exalted people, an equipped people, an expectant people. We shall reign on the earth. Though now this company reign in heaven, there is the prospect when Christ returns that they shall reign on the earth. We have the promise of the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. The promise of a glorified state, new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, and there we shall reign with Christ. That is the prospect of the people of God. It's interesting that those in heaven, they understand there's more to come. Though they're in heaven and they're worshiping Christ, they know there's more to come and their blessings. What a prospect it is. This is a purchased people. Secondly, there are prayerful people. Note the reference verse number eight to the prayers of saints. They have within them here the four and twenty elders. They have these vials full of odors, the prayers of saints. The language here goes back again, of course, to the priestly worship in the tabernacle, the altar of incense, taking the incense off in the prayers upon that altar. Prayers that go up, a sweet savour in God's sight and God's nostrils, that, that those things are pleasing to God. And these are the prayers that are in view here. This is a, this is a praying company. You know, prayer is really very simple. In prayer, we talk to God. We bring our praise and our petitions. That prayer will have a different flavor in heaven, but it will not be discontinued. There will be communion with God in heaven. We will still talk and praise the glory of God. And this prayer, it shows us just the nature of this believing company. It shows us that believers, they express faith. You see, faith is always expressed in prayer. It's troubling if a professing believer knows nothing of prayer. It's a troubling situation. If you like, faith is the heartbeat of a newborn believer. They're given a new heart by Christ, and their, their heart beats faith. And they, out of that new heart, they breathe out prayer. That's what it is. And so we see this company, they continue to express faith. They exercise dominion. How are they kings unto God? Well, they're kings, and we are kings in our prayers. We pray for the kingdom. We pray for the advance of the kingdom. It is through prayer that we exercise our dominion. As other souls are brought into the kingdom, it is through prayer that we enjoy our priesthood. It is in prayer that we exercise this communion. We, we talk to God's. And this is a praying company. And that prayer life does not begin in heaven. It begins in the new birth, and it continues throughout life, and then it's perfected at this point when they are around the throne of the Lamb. But the prayer life begins in the new birth. What it is, what a blessing it is to be a person who prays. Real prayer. Prayers that trust and believe in God. Believe that He is and that He is the reward of those that diligently seek Him. Such prayer life is a wonderful mark of God's grace in your soul. If you lift up your voice in prayer tonight, remember you do so because of the blood of Christ and His work that secured your redemption. This purchased people, they're a praying people. And thirdly, they're a praising people. They're a praising people. 
And their praise exalts the Lord, exalts the lion lamb, exalts Christ. Verse number 9, this new song, Thou art worthy to take the book. Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us. And then verse number 12, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You know, heavenly worship is Christ-centered. Heavenly worship is Christ-exalting. That's why we seek in our worship here, we seek to ensure that our worship is Christ-centered and Christ-exalting. Such is a reflection of heavenly worship. You see, when we see heavenly worship and we see the Christ-centered nature of heavenly worship, it reminds us that this praise, it reflects Christ's position. He is central. He's worthy of our praise or adoration. He is the lion lamb, the man that is God, worthy of all of our praise. It reflects our posture. We understand that we are nothing outside of Christ. We praise him because we know that it is only through him that we find ourselves part of the redeemed company. It's impossible. It's impossible for a child of God not to want to praise Christ because they understand that all that they are is through Christ and through his work. This praise reflects his position, it reflects our posture, and it reflects his preciousness. He is worthy. We only really praise those things that we esteem to be precious. And so when Christ is precious to us, then we are glad to join the heavenly company and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Oh, there is a sight that we're given here, a sight that we should anticipate, a sight that we see and realize that that's, we're just not quite there, are we? But we want to be there. And we want, by God's grace, to know more and more of this in our lives and in our worship at home and in church, that we know more of this Christ-exalting, Christ-centered worship, that we just esteem Christ as being precious, and that we'd value the work of redemption, that we'd never, ever grow tired or dull to say, I am redeemed, oh, praise the Lord. May God help us to value these things. And if these things are not valuable to you tonight, May God help you to see your need of a new heart. You need to be born again, born of the Spirit of God, that you'd come to trust in Christ and worship Him and delight in Him. May God be pleased to bless His Word to your souls tonight for His precious name's sake. Amen and amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.